This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. So, welcome to Journey of Unity number 18. For those of you who have not yet joined our WhatsApp group, tinyurl.com forward slash Rabbi Epstein. So, tonight's class is the Pasuk of Saifiyah Halichais Beisa, Velechem Atzlus Loi Saicha. What does that mean? Saifiyah Halichais Beisa. So, Saifiyah is from the word to be mitzape sort of to to watch over Halicha Isbesa, the goings or the comings and goings of her house. That's how I think I would interpret it. She watches over the comings and goings of her house. The Lechem Atzlos and the bread of laziness, Loiseicho, that she does not eat. So it sounds like two very unrelated ideas. It also sounds like two ideas which we have to develop. So let's understand what these two ideas are and why these two ideas come together to form one Pasuk. Saifi Halicha Isbesa, so the first idea, let's just develop this slowly, is that she watches. She watches the comings and goings of her house. So if you look in the Mepharshim, they explain what this means. It means that she's in tune to the people in her house. And I think we spoke about this really in the first class, the general concept, that if you want to know what it means to be in a successful relationship, it means that you're in tune to your partner to what they need, want, and desire, and you give it to them without expecting anything in return. And I would argue that that's probably, if you could remember that, you will be a pretty good spouse on most days. Okay, just think about what your spouse wants, needs, or desires, give it to them without expecting anything in return, you'll probably be okay. And if they do the same thing to you, by the way, right, then you then you're then you'll for sure be good. Maybe if one party is giving and the other one's not, we have a problem. But if two people are really in tune to each other, you probably have a very good shot at at having a good marriage. I think that that is the basic understanding, I was thinking now, when we're children, we're taught from a young age that if you're not going up, you're going down, right? That Yiddishkeit is like a ramp. If you're not going up, you're going down. And I think that the simple explanation is because either you're in tuned or you're not in tune. It's, it's two options. Either you're tuned into what your spouse needs or you're just not. You're just out to lunch. You're just doing your own thing. You're coexisting. And one is a good marriage and one is a coexisting marriage. And that is, I think, the basic of every relationship. But Rashi takes us a step further. And Rashi says, that you're in tune, what does it mean to the halicha ispesa, to your spouse's walkings? And it doesn't just say spouse, it's also like the people in your house. So Rashi says that you're watching, that your family is acting with MS and Sneas. Okay? And then Tzitzit David throws this in also, uh, uh, again, he says like, um, darkam, Hashem, that this Eishas Chayel then, miyasheres darkam, she straightens their way. So I think when most people are going to college classes, they are taught that you should not become your husband's mashkiah, right? I think that's a pretty um, common statement that is taught in most college classes. Don't marry your husband to be his mashkiah. Men don't want to marry their mashkiah. That's certainly true. Um, don't, you know, be his mashkiah. But if you listen to any of this series, we've said a lot of times that you actually do have a certain... I, I'll call it an opportunity, but over here he's taking it to a further step to to incorporate a lot of basics of values of hashkafa of of midas of 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 so much into your home, and I think that because we're we're almost sold on this catchphrase of "Don't become your husband's mashkiach," that people give up a tremendous opportunity at infusing their house with values with their opinions with their with their das and in fact the malbum says that what does this pasuk mean 
umishgachas, that she becomes literally the mashkiach, right? Al halichais v'hanhagas besa. This is the malbum. So when your kala teacher or whoever told you, like, you can't become your husband's mashkiach, that's not what the malbum says. It's straight up. Umishgachas. She does. She watches, right? Umiyasheres darkam, Mitsudas David says. And then she, she straightens them out. So what does this mean? Why are we told that is it because today we live in 2024 and therefore we were taught this new vogue idea that you're not allowed to, you know, have an opinion. You're not allowed to say something. You're going to become as much. Yeah. Like, like, how do we reconcile these two ideas? It seems very clear from almost everybody on the page that the concept of is not just that you're watching, you're watching, you're in tune. You're 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 in tune to what's going on in your house. You say something. You see something, say something. That's the New York City uh, subway thing, right? So in your own house, you don't know what's going on. So I, I want to say just one more step to this, which is really brought in the Mabam also, where he talks about the concept that the same way the Nevi'im had a, I don't want to call it an achorayas, it was more the opportunity to be mashpia on Klal Yisrael, that they would say something, and then through their words, think about Nineveh, they saved a whole city, you know, et cetera, et cetera. All the times in history where the Nevi'im were able to say something, every person has to view their home as their domain, that they are responsible for infusing with a certain hashkafa sachayim. And that's what this Pasuk is telling you. It's telling you that when you get married, you should know that you have the ability, the opportunity, the responsibility for your house, this concept that people just grow up like like reeds or like you know wildfire, just out of control, that is not a Jewish concept. Chinuch is a hands-on approach. Now, it doesn't mean helicopter parenting. Doesn't mean helicopter spousing. It doesn't mean that you're so you know laying on the person's head that the person can't live, they can't breathe. And I think we have to differentiate here between people who are controlling their spouse. They're trying to change their spouse and their spouse is reactive. They're defensive. They're not interested in that versus somebody who does it out of love and care and compassion that they're able to get across a point that will actually straighten out their spouse and also their children. Now, how do you know if you're doing this right or wrong? Because I think that there's a very fine line here that a lot of people will cross over Okay, when it comes to this idea. And I think that there's a very fine line and I'm going to tell you an answer that I think is something which everybody has to take very seriously. I'm going to flip the coin over here. I was once talking to a girl who at some point she had a lot of struggles in her life. She was abused and she had a boyfriend. It was a very long story. And then Baruch Hashem, she came back and she's doing wonderful and everything was great. And she was telling me about her life. And at one point she said, you know, when I had this and this and this issue, um, I didn't know how to deal with it. And I said, so tell me, how did you resolve it? She said, I, 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 I called my father and I was talking to him about it. And I said, one second, like you were barely religious, like you really weren't religious and you were struggling with this and that and whatever. She said, yeah, the minute I ran into this issue with my boyfriend, I quickly called my father and he was there for me and we resolved it. And I was thinking to myself, I don't know, I'm not in Shemayim, but I would I would venture to say that the reason why this girl had a successful outcome to her story was because her father was the address that she knew she could turn to even in her hardest times, even during her struggles. And I think that the message of this is not that you have to become a person's mashkiach. The message to this is that you have to become the person that your children know. If I have an issue, you're the one I turn to. That your husband knows if I have a problem, you're the one I want to discuss it with. 
This is an obligation on the person. It's not an obligation on you to go to go infringe on everybody around you and say, listen, I have a chiyav, a responsibility, just like the Nevi'im, to give you musr. That's not what this Pasuk is saying. The Pasuk is saying you should know that you have an opportunity to love your family so much that your family turns to you when they have a problem, when they have a crisis. How often do you hear people say, oh, I can't talk to them about this? When, when a child says it about the parents, there's a disconnect. We have to understand the word disconnect doesn't mean that somebody's sleeping in the doghouse. It doesn't mean somebody runs away from home. You can live within inches of another person, but be miles apart from them. To live with connection to a person means that no matter how far you are, the emotional connection is there. The ability to talk to the person is there. On any topic, no matter how hard it is, no matter how uncomfortable it is. That, I believe, is what this means. Saifiyah halicha is beisa, that this person, this Aisha Skyel, this husband, this wife, they are so in tune to their, to their family. They're so in tune, not because they went ahead and they pushed and rammed all of their sheetas down their family's throat, but because their family knows that no matter what the issue is, you're the person I could talk to. That's what it means. You're not that you're a Michel, you're a Melech. You're not somebody that dominates. You're somebody that your family nominates. Ah, oh, I have an issue. I go to you. Who do we talk to? Turn to Tati. Turn to mommy. They, they're very smart. They'll give you good insight. Have they been through this? Maybe, yeah, maybe no. But you know for sure, no matter what it, what it is, you can talk to them. And if they don't have an answer, they'll help you get a resolution. Why? Because they love you and they care for you. That is, I believe, the fundamental of what this pasuk means. You're so in tune. And therefore, you were nominated for this position. It's not that you were so in tune to all the shortcomings of your family that you took it on yourself that now all of a sudden you're going to still start criticizing your family. It's incumbent on each person to take that position. So that's number one. The second thing is that the Pasuk says, that this person does not eat the lechem atlas, the bread of laziness. What does that mean? I think the basic shot is that most people are very good at criticizing others. We're, we're, we're great at it. We're great at looking at everybody else's shortcomings and figuring out what they need to work on. This is a fundamental Jewish uh, trait. I think it's in our genes um, that we just look at everybody and we, we criticize. We just figure out what's wrong with the world. And, uh, and that's how we go, yeah, eh. you know, we're good. We're good complainers. We're good looking at the negative side of things. Maybe it has a, a positive side that we point out the negative. So we work towards a resolution. But I think this goes back to the Parshish in the Torah goes back to Parshish. It goes back to Benny Parshish. We're like, you're right. That Kali so constantly complained. And we're good. We're good complainers. We're good at pointing out what other people need to work on. The idea behind this Pasuk is that if you want to know how your message of your insight is going to be received, it's only going to come about if you yourself do that same thing. You can't be lazy. You can't be telling your family, hey, you need to do this but I can't do this or I won't do this. No, 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 no. It's only if you do this that it works. We, we always know that if you tell your children, do as I say, but not as I do, that is the absolute worst kind of advice you can say, right? Do as I say, not as I do. It mm. doesn't work that way. And even if you don't say those words, your children see who you are. Your children feed off of who you are. The, the idea is that if you want your children to change, you want the people around you to change. You want your children to be filled with MS, Make sure you're filled with MS. You want your children to be benevolent? Make sure you're benevolent. You want make sure 
that your midos are good so that your children's midos are good. Your children learn from you so many more things than you can possibly tell them just by watching you, just by living in the same house as you. That is the fundamental of chinuch, that you're not just telling them, but you're actually living it. I had a cute story. We were just recently driving with my kids and it was late at night. Everybody was tired. So we were driving like 25 minutes away. And as we were driving on the way back, everyone was cranky. So I won't say whose fault it was, but a couple of them started, um, let's call it, you know, they were starting to smack each other a little bit. So so I turned around and I said, guys, if you're going to start smacking each other, then I'm going to jump in too. I'm also going to start. So one of my children said, well, if you jump in and smack, then who's going to smack you for smacking us? Like, yeah, like you're, you're, you're becoming us. You're taking on this idea of smacking. Okay, no problem. So then who's going to punish you for punishing us? It was very cute. Makshava. My wife pointed this out. She said, these kids are so smart <laughs> because first of all, they were able to continue doing what they were doing, but also because they called, they called me out on the idea. Right. And it was cute because I came up, I was thinking to myself, yeah, how often do you, do you scream at your kids? Could you stop screaming already? And they're like, uh-huh. So when you need to scream, you're able to scream. But when we need to scream, we're not able to scream. Kids see, you know, when things are off and they call us out on it. Kids call us out on it. You know, I, I think that one of the things that people who, who you know, ultimately have gone off the dark, when you talk to a lot of these kids, they are so in tune to the hypocrisy, the hypocrisy that exists. But we, we live in our own houses. We have to make sure that the hypocrisy in our house is not there. So that is, I think, this idea. Um, so if you want your family to listen to anything you have to say, don't say anything. Just just do whatever you need to do and your kids will learn from that. And especially if you are a person that they're able to come to and talk to, you'll find that it actually goes very far. But let's take this a little bit further over here. The bread of laziness. What does that mean, the bread of laziness? So it's brought down in some of the Mepharshim that what it means is that, you know, if I call you up and I say to you, um, could you give me an hour of your time? And let's say you don't have time. So if you have good boundaries, you could say, sorry, I don't have a lot of time right now. And you'll tell me it's not good for you. I say, oh, if you don't mind me asking, what are you doing right now? Right? I'm at work. Um, I'm taking care of my kids. I'm on a date. You could say whatever you want to say, right? And you don't have to answer for yourself. But let's assume that whatever you're doing is important. One of some of the parts may explain, the lacham atzas means that there are some people that they are busy with food. I don't mean a wife who's preparing for a family or you create, making Shabbos. That's not what it means. It means that you're, you're like living for the food. You became a foodie. I don't know if I should say that word, but because some people think it's a, it's a good thing. But it means that you became so busy with your food, right, that your conversations revolve around food, that your lifestyle revolves around food. So which restaurant am I going to? That's it. The, whole, the whole idea is just about food. So therefore, the Mufarjim explained that this person has a certain level of maturity. The lechem atzas leisechel means it's not just pshat that you do whatever you, you want your family to do. It means that whatever you want your family to do is on a high level. It's on a mature level. It's gahibin. It's uplifting. It's not your conversations at your Shabbos table are not, are not childish. They're not, they're not talking about if, if the steak had this or if this had that. And I think it extends way more than food. I think it's a lifestyle, it's a machshava, it's a maturity of what your conversations revolve around, about what your lifestyle revolves around. I remember, and maybe this is, this is not for us, this is really, I'll say this, this is not for us, but I remember Rabbi Berkowitz saying 
a number of times half half of the story. And then once after a number of years, he said the second half of the story. The first half of the story used to say was that Rechaim Shmulevitz used to tell us Talmidim, one of them being Rabbi Berkowitz, that you should know that if I if I became anything in life, it's because I used to eat meals by Rabbi Rucham Lubavitz, and I used to watch him eat. And our Berkowitz would say this constantly, that Rechaim would tell us that if I became anything in life, it's it's because I used to watch Rabbi Rucham eat. I used to watch Rabbi Rucham eat, and that's why I became what I became. And I remember our Berkowitz saying this for years and years and years. And I used to think, okay, look, what, what exactly does that mean? And then after a number of years, I, I heard the, the end of the story. The end of the story was that when Rabbi Rucham would eat, he was so removed from the food that was sitting in front of him that there was almost like no relationship to the food whatsoever. He would eat it in the, in the fastest amount of time that he had like almost no physical benefit. Now, again, this is not for us. This is not for us. I'll say that a hundred times. This is not for us. But Rav Chaim was, was pointing out a certain, he watched somebody who had mastered food. He watched somebody, I'll take this to the next level, the lechem atzlas, that doesn't eat food that makes them lethargic, that makes them lazy. They eat food because it gives me energy. That's lechem atzlas. Something, if I eat something just because it tastes good, nah, I, I don't want that food. They eat because this is food that's, that's uplifting food. What is considered uplifting food? Yeah, something that I thought about. Does this give me energy or not? It's an uplifting lifestyle. It's an uplifting, it's a maturity to how you live your life. I think that that is the Nakuda over here. That if you want your family to live a life that is uplifting, you have to live your own uplifting life. And it's not something that you can take shortcuts with, by the way. I was just thinking this. Velechem Atzlas, you can't take the, 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 the lazy path to this. The lazy path is where you just criticize everybody, say, do this, do this, do this, do this, but you yourself don't do this. You're criticizing your family and you have a whole stash of chocolate and, and, and you know, and wherever. What does that mean? It means that you yourself haven't worked yourself through. You haven't taken the long path, the path of patience. You haven't worked all this through. I, I was recently on a call with somebody, and this is sort of where my mind is going with this. I was recently on a call with somebody, and they were having a very um, complicated, I'll call it a very complicated situation. And they asked me if I could speak to a certain person on the phone. And they got this person on the phone. And the, the first word the person said came out with a certain niggin, like a certain whine. It was like, hello, like a certain like ready, ready to pounce. Okay. So it, it didn't take 10 seconds before I told the person that asked me to get on the phone. I said, I, I hope you don't mind, but I don't think this conversation is for me. Um, I'll let other people deal with this. And I said, but why? Like, I just, I want you to talk to this person. I said, because there are certain, pe- certain people in life that their whole essence, their whole mahus, the whole everything is shalom. Their whole mahus is resolution. And then there's certain people in life that their whole mahus is to be argumentative, to win the fight, just to argue with the next person and the next person. There's certain people that just, that's just who they are. The, the person you asked me to talk to is not somebody that wants a resolution. The person you, you asked me to talk to is somebody that wants an argument. You want an argument? So you're talking to the wrong person. I, this is not what I want. This is not what I want for you. So to me, this is a brachal of atal. If that's the path you want to go down, I'll send you to somebody else that can help you with that. But for me, this is just, I'm allergic to this kind of conversation. I think that in life, there are people that are infused with shalom, that they are infused with resolution-guided mindsets. And then there's certain people that are not. And the, the concept to me is, you want to watch the way your house work, works? You have to be somebody that's worked on. You can't be somebody that takes shortcuts. 
Yelling and screaming usually doesn't bring about resolution. Fighting and, and, and taking everybody to Bezin doesn't bring about resolution. There's certain times you have to take a longer path with yourself, and then it's a shorter path with dealing with other people. I remember like yesterday, my first forensic accounting case that I ever had, after I became a CPA, there was a concept of becoming a forensic accountant. And it basically means that when people are in litigation, so I always like to use the muscle of lawyers being the gun and accountants being the bullets. But that means as the lawyer says, I'm going to sue you. Okay, you're suing me, but are you suing me for $2 or $10 million or $100 million? You don't know. So the one who figures that out is usually the accountant. They figure out what are the numbers? What was the case? So the first case I ever had was a guy who came to me. He was referred by one of my clients, a uh, fine Italian gentleman from the city. And he came to me and he walked in. He was fuming, furious at his, his partner. Came in, stomping and yelling and screaming. He says, I'm going to kill this guy. I'm going to go after everything he's got. He's ripping me off. He was so upset. So I explained to him that I needed a copy of the QuickBooks and I also needed a copy of a whole bunch of documents, including their, their, you know, their partnership agreement. And the guy sent me everything and I did all my work. And at the end, I sat down with him and I said, okay, I have my report for you. He says, let's go. I'm going to tear this guy limb from limb. He was like, so upset. I said, okay, here we go. You ready? I said, um, according to your operating agreement, I laid out the whole thing. I said, the bottom line is, is that at the end of the day, your partner stole from your business over the last bunch of years, about a million dollars from your business. And he went crazy. I knew it. I'm going after this guy. He was screaming, getting my lawyer on the phone. I said, one second, one second. But what I also discovered was that you stole over a million and a half dollars from the business. So I just want you to know in all transparency that this is what happened in the thing. So he said, okay. He said, how much is your fee? He gave me a check. And he walked out the door. And that was it. End of the case, right? Obviously, he didn't go further. Now, right? Because he would have lost a half a million dollars. Whatever, 50%, $250,000. Now, it was it was interesting because when he left, I was thinking to myself, here you have a guy. Now, again, I'm sure there was something that started this whole you know relationship going in the direction that it went. But there are some people that are so you know focused on pulling people apart. I'm going to take you to court. I'm going to take you to bed and within their spouses. Like, am I not right? They're yelling, they're screaming. There are certain things that bring about resolution and there are certain things that don't bring about resolution. There are certain things that build your family and there are certain things that destroy your family. I think we've all heard from when we were younger that you could be dead right, but you're dead wrong, right? You can be 100% right in, in your shita, but if, you, if your midos, if the atmosphere, if all of that is not there, then it just absolutely just doesn't work. Which brings me to the last point. The medra says, but who is who is this Aisha's Chayel? We always say that there's a person that the Medrash refers to as the Aisha's Chayel. And the Medrash says, this is Aisha's Avadya. Who is Aisha's Avadya? So long story short is that Aisha's Avadya was the wife of Avadya. Okay, I'll make it a little, a little bit longer than that. Who was Avadya? Avadya was the man who when Ahav and Izabel started killing out all the Nevi'im, Avadya went ahead and took 100 Nevi'im, hid them in a cave, and took care of these Nevi'im. He supported them until he ran out of money, and he had to borrow money from Yehiram, who was the son of Ahav. So Ahav inadvertently was um, supporting all of these Nevi'im. But Yehiram and Ahav had a very interesting arrangement where there was a tremendous amount of interest that was on this loan. And Avadya died before he was able to pay this back. And Yehiram was not willing to forgive the loan. And the children were going to be taken, and they would have had to, they would have had to go into captivity. 
it would have been very complicated. So Aisha Sevadia went ahead to Alicia and she said to Alicia, I need you to get involved. He got involved and he made a nace where the oil didn't stop pouring until it filled up the whole house and all the jugs in the house. And she was able to sell that and pay off the debt. Now, why is that? Why is that this person? Like, what does she have anything to do with this puzzle? So what struck me is as follows. is I think that most people would agree. We spoke in the past of, of Elisheva, who was Aaron's wife. And we spoke about the concept that she dealt with tragedy and she was able to deal with tragedy in a mature way. I think this is the other side of the coin. It's the side of the coin where you're dealt with adversity. And you're able to deal with adversity in a way where it's mature and you are solution-oriented. You're not focused on just what do I do now. Here you have a person who came to a situation where she lost her husband and she didn't know what to do. And what was the first thing that she did? Something that I think every single person should do is she turned to her local rub, her local tzaddik. She turned to Alicia and she said, can you give me a solution? Can you help me? And it was precisely because she turned to the right person that she got the right answer that she needed. So often in life, everyone's good until they're not good. They're good until the point where all of a sudden, what happens? The wheels come off because you're challenged with something. And then all of a sudden, that, that person, they're not calm anymore. Their meters go out the window. They're yelling. They're screaming. They're suing. They're fighting. You can't, you can't bring about a resolution. And here you have a person who's challenged. And she slows down. She says, I got to go talk to my rabbi. I have to go talk to my local rab. He happens to be the God of Ladar. He happens to be a Navi. And he could do miracles. So that's a very good rub to have. Halavai, we all had that. But she turned She turned to the person that she knew would be able to help her get a, get a resolution. And I think that that is the key. To be resolution focused. And not focused on, I just don't know what to do now. And then all of a sudden, I'm just panicking. So that is the concept. Now, I just saw a fascinating story which I thought just, it blew my mind, really the end of the story, but I'll, I'll go I'll take you through the whole story over here. Story goes as that there was a man and he bought a building, I'm sorry, he bought an apartment in a building and as part of his contract with the contractor, he was entitled to not only his apartment, but also a parking space in the building. Now this was really important because in his neighborhood, there was no parking whatsoever to be found. So this man goes ahead and he has his parking space and he's thrilled every day he comes home from work and he's able to park, whereas all of his neighbors are all driving around in circles. This goes on for about seven or eight years. And then one day, he's going up in the elevator, and his neighbor, who he always meets in the elevator, he meets his neighbor, and his neighbor says to him, Ah, oh, Shalom Aleichem, I was meaning to talk to you. Um, you know, I just want to tell you that I just, I just got a car, and I'm going to need my parking space back. So the guy says, What are you talking about? He says, Yeah. You know the spot that you've been using like all these years since you moved into the building? That spot's actually mine. I didn't care that you use it all these years because I didn't have a car, but I just recently got a car and I'm sorry to tell you, but I'm going to actually need my parking spot back. So the guy says, what are you talking about? He says, you're a nice guy. I'm, I'm not lying to you. You can't be lying to me. He says, I'm telling you, I'll show you on my plans that the spot is mine. And the other guy says, no, I'll show you on the plans that the spot is mine. So they both got together that night. They laid out their plans on on the table, and they both see that in their contracts and in everything, the contractor had sold the same spot to both guys. One guy just happened to have a car, and the other guy never had a car until today he had a car. And this other guy, the second guy, thought that the first guy was stealing his spot every day, but he didn't care. He was like, okay, he's a nice guy. I'll let him use the thing till I need the spot back. So they didn't know what to do. So the first guy who has been using the spot, the guy with the car all along, he turns to the guy, he says, listen, 
you know, go back to the contractor and just tell him that he should he should just refund you whatever you paid for it. So the guy says, listen, it's not so simple. You used it for the, la- for the first eight years. I'll use it for the next eight years. And you go figure out how you're dealing with the contractor. So the guy realized that this was not so simple. So what did he do? He went to his rub. And I don't want to say this was a tactical mistake, but he went to his rub without going with his friend. And the Rav says to him, okay, I'll give you all the shitas to show why you're right. So he gives him all the shitas. You're a mochzik. You're the one who, who had a chazaka on this area. And this guy was never meicha. He never said anything. And he didn't inform you. Yada, yada, yada. He was meicha. He gives him all the shitas. So he comes to his neighbor the next night. He comes with a pile of farm. And he says, my Rav told me that I'm right. And here's all the reasons why I'm right. The guy says, it's very interesting. I went to my Rav today. And my Rav told me all the reasons why I'm right. And he has a pile of svarim, and he says, you know, I, I, I didn't have to tell you, and it's not karka. And he starts giving like all the shitas why he's right and why he's wrong. They didn't know what to do. So finally, they went to the, to the contractor himself. And this contractor still owned the building, still lived in the building, had a place in the building. They knock on his door. They said, listen, we have a fundamental problem here. It looks like you sold both of us the same spot. So the guy looks at the contracts and everything, and he says, oh, my goodness. He says, I feel so bad for you guys. The truth is, I really did. I messed this up totally. Um, originally, the plans were X. And then at the last minute, because of certain things, we had to put certain beams. The whole downstairs got moved around completely like at the last minute. And it slipped through the cracks that both of you ended up with this thing. He says, I feel terrible. I never would have done this. I'm sorry. Um, like, I don't even know what to tell you. Like, if you guys want money back, I guess I'll figure it out. He says, personally, I don't even have any money right now. So I can't even pay you back. But like, what could I do? Like, why don't you guys just go to Bezin and let Bezin Paskin like what you should do? I don't know. Maybe your rub is right. Maybe your rub is right. So they 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 looked at each other. They said, go to Bezin. Bezin, like, we're going to fight with each other. I don't know if we should fight with each other. But they each had like their tightness on like how it should work. So the first guy said, um, th- I'm sorry, the new guy said, you know what? I don't know about you, but... It seems like you've been using this spot for the last eight years. So I don't want to upend anything. I really don't want to end up in Bezdin because I don't want to be fighting with another Jew. I like you. You're a nice guy. You keep it for now. And let's think through like a resolution that could work for both of us, perhaps. So the guy said, fine. So for a couple of days, the first guy kept it. He felt kind of guilty because he knew the story. Reality was that the other guy also paid for a spot. And this guy just got a car. And now every night he's driving around looking for parking. So this guy went back to the uh, to the landlord, to the contractor, and he said, you know, this is a ridiculous situation. Like, what should we do about it? So the contractor says, by the way, I don't know if you know, but the reason why this guy just got a car after all these years living in Eretz was because his wife was just diagnosed with, with MS, and he needs a car to take her back and forth to all of her treatments. So he needs a car. And where your spot is, it's a great spot that you get out of the spot and you go straight into the elevator and you go straight upstairs. So, you know, that's why for him to be circling around for parking with his wife being sick and he just bought a car for this reason and he thought that he would have his parking spot, it's really not so simple what you're doing to him. I'm not telling you what's right and what's wrong. Just saying this is this is the story. I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm just telling you this is the story. So the guy left and he felt like really horrible. And he said to the to the landlord, he said like, you just said yesterday, you don't even have enough money to pay us back for the money that we spent for the spot. Like, you know, do you have an option that you can offer us? So the guy said, the truth is, I don't have much of an option. But if you drive down the alley, which is a very narrow alley, there is like a certain area where 
I would allow you to park your car. But not only that, because you were messed up over here, I would I would give you title to like this area till the end of the building. Like whatever's down there is all yours. Like if there's a machsan, this whatever whatever it is, it's yours. So the guy walked around the building, and he basically sees this little tiny area that you could barely fit your car into. He he, he says, "Let me think about this." He goes home, talks to his wife, and he thinks about it for a little bit, and he comes back and he says. I got to sleep on this overnight. Overnight, he thinks about it. He gets up in the morning. He says, Naba, my poor neighbor, this guy thinks he was just robbed of his parking spot for eight years. Now he finds out he, he overpaid for the spot. His wife is sick. He tells his wife, from now on, I'm willing to give this up. He'll have the spot and I'll go drive around the back. So he tells the guy, no problem. Um, give him the spot. Let's draw this up legally. He has the spot. And I have this little tiny area in the back of the building. At least I have a parking spot and I'll forgo it. All these years, I got a, I got a free spot that I paid for, but I'm willing to forgo it. No problem. Um, I'll take it. So they draw up the paperwork. And for the next few months, this guy would park in the back, barely be able to get out of his car. And this other guy with the sick wife was able to have his parking spot. And they were quote unquote happy, except that the first guy who always had the parking spot felt like every once in a while, like a little tinge, like oh, I got to schlep around the building. I got packages today. It's raining, you know, a little bit like not so thrilled, but overall he would say to himself, you know what, Laman HaShalem, this was a good idea. This was a good idea. This was a good idea. A few months later, it came Sukkah Spina's money. And his family makes a sukkah and beautiful sukkah. Everything's wonderful. And after sukkah, they take everything down. And his son says to him, um, you know, why don't we go? check out that area where you park your car. Let's just look around over there. So they walk around, they're kicking the rocks. There's like nothing, a little dinky area. And as they were playing with everything, his son was banging on like a back wall and he hears that behind the wall, it's like empty. Like there's nothing there, like hollow wall. So he turns to his father. He says, what's behind this wall? His father says, I don't know, but whatever it is, we own it. <laughs> you know, like as a joke, like whatever it is, we own it because the guy gave me title to whatever was here and then just straight back to the end of the building. So the, the son says, okay, he runs upstairs, comes down with a little hammer, and he just starts smashing the wall, and the wall starts like to crumble. And before he knows it, he has like a doorway, and he gets flashlights, and he walks inside. You see this massive open area, which basically was the size of like a three-room apartment. And when they made the plans, inadvertently, they closed off this area. It was never sold. It was never given to anybody. And that was how they closed it off. And they passed the final inspection and everybody forgot about this area. So this guy went back to the landlord and the guy said, listen, I gave it to you. hundred percent. It's yours. So the guy said that now all of a sudden he has rental income from an apartment that he never had to take off. And he said, this was my, this was my reward for being somebody that was looking to, you know, receive Shalom instead of, Going, you know, going after another yet. And I think that the, the concept here is an emotional achrayas, really, on every single person. The concept of Tzifi Ali Fezbesa is that I think most of us come into marriage not thinking we're going to have to change our spouse, but realizing after a little bit of time, I think there's certain upgrades that I can get out of my husband, out of my wife, out of my children. But the achrayas shifts to becoming a better version of your of yourself, to becoming a version that your spouse wants to talk to when they have an issue, when they have a crisis. I would say to you, ask yourself, am I the person that my spouse wants to talk to when they have something heavy to discuss? Am I the person that my, that my spouse can lean on my shoulder when we're going through something tough? Or am I a person 
that I'm always right, but for some reason, nobody cares about my opinion. Nobody ever wants to hear my opinion, even though I think I'm the smartest person in every room. Okay, so that's the first idea. And also all the things that I'm telling everybody that they need to correct or that I'm thinking in my mind that they need to correct are these things that I myself have mastered? Are these things that I'm putting in the work to do? And then is it just like mundane stuff? Like I'm telling my 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 child to tuck himself in. I'm telling my, my daughter she has to stand up straighter with a straighter posture because what are the neighbors going to think of us? Is my whole perspective on life an immature perspective? Or is my perspective on life something that is uplifting? that it's gehaiben, that I'm really concerned for you. I care about you. There's a certain maturity to this. And I think that if a person is able to master the idea of taking the longer path in life, that you're not taking the short version of just correcting and yelling and screaming, but you're taking your own self-development seriously which I think is the essence of marriage is realizing that marriage is a self-development course of taking the time to perfect yourself, not looking so much at your spouse and your children, what they have to correct. Then ultimately the people around you are going to be uplifted. They're going to be mature. They will be calm. They will be clean. They will be neat. They will be people that live for higher purposes because you're, you're putting in the effort. You want your children to daven nicer, daven nicer. You want your children to bench from a venture, bench from a venture. You want your children to be, to be charitable, be charitable. Whatever you want somebody else to do, just put your name right in front of that sentence, take out their name, and you have a very good shot of getting to this, to this area. If you put everybody else's names in there, and you're just the one who discovered all of their flaws, like Magellan and like Christopher Columbus, then most likely you're going to have very poor friends and very poor family relationships because people are not going to want to stick around you. But if your whole goal is that your your air quality in your house is good, that it's a it's a good air quality, then chances are the people around you will flock towards you and you'll become a person that is a beacon of light for your family. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.